Welcome to the Impact Nations podcast. My name is Tim. I am your host. Uh, today I am joined by Steve. I call him Dad. You can call him Steve. And our very good friend of the podcast, Brad Jerzak. Uh, Brad, welcome. We're so glad to have you back. Thank you. I appreciate your hospitality. Indeed. <laughs> From a distance. Um, and so today we are starting what uh, will be kind of a three-part uh, discussion on the work of the cross. Uh, for those who follow along with uh, Impact Nation's uh, Tuesday night teaching that Dad does, uh, he's been doing uh, the mystery of the cross. Um, or if you listen to our audio podcast, uh, then you would have heard this just last week. Uh, we have uh, been in the mystery of Christ series, and we just last week with episode 11 uh, started what will be a three-part teaching on the mystery of the cross. And since Dad's travel plans got canceled, Brad's travel plans got canceled, we thought, well, heck, we've got some time. Why don't we dig deep? and really explore the work of the cross together. And as Dad and I talked about that, we thought, who better to do that with than with Brad Jerzak? So um, we're really excited. And so this week, in our first of of three discussions, I want to really investigate the experience of the cross. What what was Jesus experiencing on the cross and how can we kind of enter into that? Uh, this, if, if you listen to episode 11 and if you haven't, I encourage you to do that. Just impactnations.com slash podcast. You can subscribe or, or listen there. Um, but uh, Dad was really looking at the experience of the cross. And so we want to limit our discussion there. We've got a lot of theological work to go through that we're going to do in the next two discussions likely. But uh, this week we're trying to limit our discussion specifically to what Jesus was experiencing and how we can enter into that on the cross. Um, So, Brad, uh, I'm interested to know how you emotionally engage, you personally, how you emotionally engage with the work of the cross. Um, So, as we shared offline last time, I want to tell you how that shifted for me. Uh, So, my backstory of that is that sometime in the 90s, I... I was really um, in a time of worship and prayer with a guy I was mentoring, and he wanted to sort of enter into the into the experience of, of the cross in terms of the agony of Christ. And, and so he was praying fervently about this and really thanking God, and, all, uh, and that totally legit, right? But in the midst of this, I, I heard in my spirit very clearly, um, I don't want your pity. I want your life. Mm. And so I think um, I've been through, you know, I've, I've, I've seen a lot of sermons where they would go into the agonies of Christ in great explicit detail. And, and I'm not so sure why we're doing that now. If, if it has to do with leading us to gratitude for what he suffered um, in order to rescue us uh, from you know the the human condition so to speak that that that's fair enough right but the engaging the cross emotionally is not meant to be a pity party for jesus Mm. what it's meant to be is a is a moment of surrender and um and so now let's fast forward to my current experience and thoughts on that um so what was christ experiencing on the cross it seems to me that even beginning in the Garden of Gethsemane, 
he he enters into a new depth of union with fallen humanity by uh, bearing all our sins and all our sorrows. When he's in Gethsemane and he's sweating drops of blood, it's not because he's he can't face his own torture and death courageously. Many martyrs have done so with you know singing hymns. What he's enduring there already in Gethsemane is is the weight of the world now as he unites himself to every man, woman, and child on the planet for all history, which could even be, we may be talking 60,000 years of human history, you know, so, or more, but, um, and, and, and what, what's going on there? Uh, he is entering into that union so that he can bring about a great exchange. So we have Paul in the language of exchange um, in that union, he takes the ashes of our grief and then in that union we receive what was it beauty for ashes isaiah 61 right garment of praise for a spirit of heaviness or uh, paul's language it's it's uh, his riches for our poverty and so so it's like he comes heart to heart on the cross with all of humanity and it's not just It's no longer 2,000 years ago. We're not just remembering something he did 2,000 years ago. Um, He rearranges space-time history such that all of history now revolves around the cross. So when I come to the cross, I am not time-traveling 2,000 years ago, or I'm not watching it from a distance, but now I'm I'm actually with, with the crucified and risen one. And that's one other thing I want to mention about it. When Paul talks about the cross, he doesn't just mean the crucifixion. He doesn't just mean Good Friday. For Paul, when he says, I, I glory in nothing but the cross, he's talking about Christ's death, his conquest of Hades, and his glorious resurrection. The whole weekend, then, for him is encapsulated. So when he says, I, I, I resolve to preach nothing but Christ in him crucified, in first Corinthians one and two, it's like, well, wait a minute. What about the resurrection in first Corinthians 15? It's like, no, it's all one thing to Paul. Hmm. And so for, for us, it's, it's, um, it's a, it's a union of, of, of him in death and in resurrection from death. And then that becomes part of my, my, my now experience. And I have lots of stories about that we can get into, but I should check in with you now because I've been talking for five minutes. <laughs> well, I'm I'm interested to know if it, Dad made a statement during his teaching uh, that the the church, um, perhaps the Western church, you can clarify, tends to think that they've already understood the cross and move very quickly beyond it um, and not spend time contemplating maybe you can clarify some of your statement on that but the the church the statement you made was the church uh, believes that they've already understood the cross and they move on yeah i think that that's true um uh, certainly uh in the you know most familiar experientially uh with the evangelical tradition and i think that uh i think that we do move on quickly and we get the, the victory of the resurrection which is true but we don't talk a lot about the suffering of the cross. Um, uh, some of the listeners may have noted that uh, I think just the week before uh, is when we put up uh, the Gethsemane 
and I fully agree with you. It was the weight of everything, and the 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 powers that be, the principalities and powers. It was it really it begins it begins there, doesn't it? And takes us right through Sunday. And I think that the other thing is we tend to, and 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 I know that I did kind of a, almost a sanitized view of the cross. You know, the the horror of the cross wasn't that horrible for me, really. You know, until we start to think of what what literally happened and and I referred to that early on in the yeah. in the podcast. So my question is how do we bridge those two gaps? Because what I'm actually hearing is a bit of tension between what what you've just said, Brad, you started by saying, hey, we're not to pity him. Mm-hmm. And yet you're saying, yeah, but d- slow down. Don't move right to the resurrection. Let's spend some time contemplating the experience of the cross. Understanding the the uh, the penalty that was paid. I mean the, the price that was paid rather is what I meant. Uh, the price that was paid at the cross is huge. And I personally uh, have found that it's, uh, it's becoming helpful for me to contemplate that. Not, not as you said, Brad, not, not uh, kind of a Mel Gibson approach, if I can say that, but to recognize this wasn't just a, a theological event. This wasn't just, well, this is a transaction that had to take place, but the incredible weight, unparalleled, um, uh, that, was, that was on Christ. Yeah, the, the way I'd probably, the, I have a few responses to that. One, one would be, um, it is helpful for us to move, as you just did, in front of us, you know, to move from the idea of penalty, which has to do with, you know, which we associated with how much, how badly did God punish his son? Yeah. Um, we, yeah, I, I just would reject that. But yeah, you, me you too. moved, you moved um, into, uh, I think a helpful word for what you're describing is what did it cost? And why do we ponder w- what it cost? One of the reasons that we do that, uh, that I think it's, it's appropriate to, to ponder that cost is because when we start talking about radical grace um, and radical forgiveness and that his blood can cleanse anything and anyone, um, one of the objections that comes up is, oh, that's too easy. And, it, and, and we respond to that objection with the cost. It's like, I want you to go stand before Christ and consider what he endured. And in that moment, tell him, oh, this was too easy, you know? And so mm-hmm. I did this once with a, with a guy who had molested children as a babysitter and got away with it uh, because he was a minor himself. So <clears throat> although he was fully caught, he didn't, he didn't, um, there, there was no penalty for him. And yet he was enduring terrible agony and as his conscience was accusing him and how he was medicating that with a sex addiction. Okay, so he came to me to confess all of this. So under the law, he's off the hook, but, but under his conscience, his conscience is an infallible judge who was not letting him off the hook and actually tormenting him. So I, we did exactly this thing and I, I took him to the cross I, and I was angry at him. I'm like, just tell him what you did, you know? <laughs> and, uh, <clears throat> and then I asked the Lord, you know, what, so, and how do you respond? And, and, and Jesus spoke to him from the cross. See, and it's a now moment. And, and he said, I forgive you. And the, the man um, said that 
no, that's too easy. And then Christ looks at him from the cross, bearing the weight of his abuse and says, no, it wasn't like really sternly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's, it's like, um, so when people say we're, we're, you know, like that if you teach grace or inclusion, you're soft on sin, where it's like quite the opposite, actually, that the weight of the world that Christ bore is gives him the right to include anyone and everyone he wants in that suffering. Right. So, so I see a value. I see a value at that level. And, and Paul will pull that language out. It's like, look at you are bought with a price. So glorify, glorify God in your bodies. Mm -hmm. You know, I would also add this, that really Matthew, Mark and Luke, what we call the synoptic gospels, they, they focus on the agony and the, um, the murder of Jesus Christ, that the cross was this great tragic conspiracy um, that focuses on the lamb slain, right? But um, in John's gospel, the glory doesn't wait for the resurrection. There is a glorification of Christ as he ascends his throne, which is a cross. So now the hour has come that the father glorifies the son. Which hour? The hour, the hour of his death. So that the cross becomes also a great victory. And again, that will play out through the resurrection. But already John is envisioning the cross of Christ as the judgment seat. And, and we all stand before, stand before that judgment seat as one of the two thieves. And which orientation will you have towards divine love when it's refracted through human sin in such a way? And then also that now, he says, the, the prince of this world is driven out. So there's a, there's a real... There's a real focus in John on like, oh, yes, we, we, get, we get the victimization of Christ, but we also see it from heaven's point of view now that this is the grand victory where through death he destroys death. You, um, when we were chatting the other day offline, um, you made a very interesting point. I pondered, uh, you know, a favorite verse for many of us in, in 2 Corinthians 3 is, is we behold, we're being transformed, we're being changed. Uh, and I think you said the word literally is transfigured. Um, yeah. As we behold his glory. Yeah. Would you talk a little bit about that in terms of the cross, beholding his glory? Right. Um, so... Um, so some of my theological reflections come from human human stories where I've been a witness. Um, and so here would be an example. Um, um, because the cross is this place of glorious exchange, we can come there in prayer with our burdens. And we can exchange those burdens for his gifts. And, and, and I have found personally that in praying with people, the best place to do that is at the cross. But... Often I'll have them picture the risen Christ in front of the cross so that so, so that it's clear we're talking to someone who's not still tacked up there. Mm-hmm. He's able to hold out his hands to receive us and uh, to remind us that at the cross he he bore these burdens and so he's willing he's willing to bear them now and that he's willing to open also his hands with gifts to us. And that's where I make an emotional connection with the cross. It's less about, you know, well, for Jesus, but more and more about um, how does coming how does coming into that space right now and um, as an experience affect me? So I 
I had shared with you guys about a woman that 15 months ago, she had done this exercise as part of a church service I was leading in New Zealand. And, and she had, um, she had come before the cross. She had exchanged her sorrows for his gifts and had a profound healing moment. And then in that moment, she also became a bit upset because she's like 36 years old and she's wondering, why have I never experienced the cross before? Why has it always been just a theology of the cross or, or a memory of the cross? Why hasn't it been a living place in my heart to this moment? It's like, I don't know, but, you know, you've experienced it now, so that's good. And, um, and so then after the service, uh, just still, you know, dramatically changed as she was transfigured as she beheld his glory but she didn't know the half of it because she went to tell her ex-christian friend later that day about her experience and this ex-christian friend although she's walked away from from christ she also still they have a good relationship so they can share openly about what's happening in their lives and as she's telling her friend about this experience she begins to glow with light. She's transfigured in front of her ex-Christian friend. And it's so bright that her friend has to turn her face away. It's like um, she has to avert her eyes from the brightness. Wow. Imagine a welder's torch. Oh. And this, is, this light is emanating from this, this woman as she's just talking about what she beheld and what she experienced on the cross. And I thought, this is amazing. It's also a... a kind of a profound and sad example of the great sin of the old testament which is forgetting because a year later when she brought it up with her friend her friend could hardly remember that it happened and like how is this possible it, you were an eyewitness of the most amazing thing in the world and you and she's like oh yeah i th i think something like that happened i yeah oh yeah maybe and, and it was like this dim memory yeah. and i think that's the power i uh of when Steve talks about the when the when our eyes are blinded by the God of this age, it obscures even the most profound miracles before our eyes. But the good news is that so what's going on there? Where she's metamorphosis is 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 really what's occurring. We're being changed from glory to glory into the image of Christ. How by by gazing on His glory? What glory? The glory revealed on the cross. And you could say, well probably any gospel story that you're beholding Christ in, you're seeing the love of God and that will change you. But it comes to this apex um, on, on Good Friday. Hmm. Thanks for sharing that. It's a That's remarkable That's story. Incredible. Um, I'm interested to talk a little bit about gospel proclamation in light of these things. Um, and I think this is a good place to kind of segue from that. Um, when you were teaching, uh, Dad, a few weeks back, you, you got into 1 Corinthians chapter 1. You, you quoted verse 18 and 23. Um, verse 18 says, The cross is foolishness to those who, who uh, don't believe. Uh, and then a few verses later in the next paragraph, he says, and I'm going to proclaim the cross. Um, so my question to both of you is, how do we proclaim the cross to those who believe it's foolishness. What does that look like? What's that sound like? Wow. You want to go first? Steve? No, I was just going to say, I, I just like to bounce off I, whatever. I really like being the guy who gets to ask the questions. It's a good place to be. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? Um, 
Yeah, I, I think what Paul's talking about in context there is is both to the Jews and the Greeks. Yeah. Um, they are looking. They are looking for something more glorious than a cross. They, their ideas of God have to do with triumphalism, and uh, they don't know the half of triumph <laughs> if they don't see that the triumph of of love occurred on a cross. But it's. Um, I think bo both the Jews and the Greeks had expectations of something less messy, less earthy, less less fleshy, um, and and uh that doesn't involve death uh and resurrection they can't even get to resurrection at that point it, it, it's just like no this makes no sense uh the god the god we're used to is either almighty zeus or almighty yahweh and they had not foreseen that the means of the victory um would be would be this glorious glorious death <laughs> it just make it's it makes no sense so today <clears throat> I, I i think maybe um maybe people get it a little bit more because we have now this this long backstory of, a, of that the crucifixion story has permeated our culture and you can see uh, it even in the great stories and novels and movies of our time um and where where that message has now begun to take hold. However, I, I would say one group that has a, a lot of trouble understanding this might be Christians. You know, <laughs> um, that it's become foolishness to Christians who um, who still who still just want the triumph without understanding that that there's a death involved here. Yeah, I absolutely agree with that. That that even the it seems like almost the message um, uh, in the in the current Christian church is how do we mitigate or even how do we avoid suffering because we're called to live victorious lives, not recognizing that the suffering is is very much the means of victory, and yeah. uh, um, and so it is so central. It, it is so, so central. I, I've just begun a series last night on the Beatitudes, and as I've been studying it, I'm seeing that the Beatitudes are really a biography of Jesus. Yeah. Um, the poor in spirit, mourning, etc. And um, And so I think that's part of what I was trying to say a few minutes ago, that we, we pass from the, too quickly from the cross. I guess what I really mean is... is uh, uh, we pass too quickly from embracing the the true, not only the work of God, but the character of God at the cross. Yep. Brad, you've been a big influence in this area for me. The whole term canonic love comes out of my mouth a lot when I preach now. And um, and every now and then I'll even reference you, you know, but usually they go, wow, that's incredible revelation. Where does he get this? Um, but uh, <laughs> But the issue... That, that the cross is not the low point, but the high point of the glory of God. Um, anyway, I'll, I'll let you develop that more. Well, you, you know, you've raised something that my friend Lori Martin has pointed out to me, and she says a lot of people think they're living in the glory of the resurrection, but, be, but in fact they're still stuck at the triumphal entry. 
yeah. they're waving palm branches yeah uh, because uh, because they've not known what it is to co-suffer and so i wonder if part of the problem has been our language of substitution he suffered so you don't have to that that's not true no <laughs> he suffered to enter our suffering with us to raise us up um from our, but and and then that happens we those who follow the Jesus way are called to pick up that same cross mm -hmm. that we co-suffer with those who suffer in order to raise them up. But you don't, you, you don't do that with palm branches. You do it with a cross. And so uh, even in terms of the radical empathy of the cross where God steps into our shoes, um, I think impact nations has been a good example of where um, you step into the shoes of those who, whose, whose suffering you witness and it, there's an agony to that, and then, and then, but also you walk with them, and there's an exchange, a, a divine exchange of, of their grief for the love of God that you have to share with them. But it, you guys, I know because of what you witness and what you experience with the, those who suffer in the world, um, that you've had your own Gethsemane, you know. So there, it's not just raw, raw, raw all the time. No. Although, um, if what I like about what I like about what Impact Nations is doing is that your testimonies really are like, wow, we've met we've met the living Savior. It's it's not like we're just going to have a pep rally for this coming King who you know who will help us avoid all this these problems. It, so, I, I, do you resonate with that? The, the the triumphal entry version versus the true triumph of the cross and resurrection? Yeah, that's a really good. Um almost a metaphor for what's going on. I, I absolutely yeah. agree. You know, it's interesting. I get asked a lot, you know, what's your favorite healing? What's your favorite memory? And, and, and I, I always have to preface it by saying, well, I'm not sure because in the mercy of God, there's been so much. But one of clearly one of the most profound ministry memories for me overseas was not a blind person seeing or a lame person walking for which I'm very excited and thankful but one of my deepest memories is being in this uh, seaside village in a really poor part of the Philippines and being on this in crawling up these like a ladder it's like a tree fort and going through the floor of this bamboo hut with a young mother and her two kids whose husband had just been sent to prison for six years. Uh, she was so afraid of for him, but also, the, of course, no social network in bamboo house villages. And I couldn't fix it. I couldn't say, oh, we'll take care of you for six years. I couldn't fix it. And all I could do ultimately was she wept, was just put my arms around her and cry with her. That seems like too simple of a story for for sometimes my listeners but but to me uh though i was, was certainly not thinking of it in any theological sense at the time but it, it's so interesting that that is one of the, the deepest memories of all of the thousands of things that have gone on um looking back i feel like like that was just christ in the room with us where all yep. that all that I could do was put my arms around her and start to cry. Yeah. And we avoid that, by and large. The Christian culture, we avoid that. 
And we want to we want to fix it, and yeah. when we and or if God doesn't fix it, we can end up resentful of God, and if yeah. we can't fix it, we end up abandoning the person because they didn't make a good testimony for us. <clears throat> I I do have a testimony that kind of it ends well, but it it kind of echoes what you're describing. So I met this I met this young student. I I don't know early twenties probably, but she had become a Christian when she was. 14 years old and on the day she became a christian her she fell apart physically she got fibromyalgia and chronic fatigue the hmm. day she became a christian hmm. she spent wow. the next years bedridden and not being able to participate in life and really lost all her teen years and she'll never get them back so i was at a discipleship training school and she had dragged herself there and she just like mainly stay in her room but once in a while she would She'd come down to a class and participate as long as she could, and then she'd go back to bed. And it was just horrible. And so she's describing this for me, and and I felt I felt the grief, and like I the very same thing. I can't fix you. I can't fix you. And then, so I had I said, but what what I could do is I could I could hold your hand and and cry with you for a while. And I had her um, I had her read Psalm six and Psalm thirteen out loud. Um, and they're both lament psalms that talk about, I, you know, how long, O oh Lord, mm-hmm. and my, I'm I'm drenching my bed with tears. It feels like my body is burning up from the inside. All the kind of things that were so familiar to her, and just being allowed to lament them, right? And so she she read the two psalms out loud, and we cried a bit, and then that was kind of it. And so I had the same experience as you. Um, the remarkable thing is the next day I did this same exercise with the group uh, where we would bring our burdens to Christ at the cross and we'd ask him for his blessings and so on. And then I had to rush off to the airport. Well, probably, and, and then I added her to my prayer list um, of people just with fibromyalgia. I just hate that disease mm. and I feel so powerless against it and I don't see it healed very often. So the ones that aren't healed, you know, they're on that prayer list. And then, um, but about, oh man, it must have been three or four years later, she contacted me through Facebook and said, I don't know if I ever told you this. I think I forgot to tell you. But when I went to the cross and exchanged my burdens, I was completely healed. Whoa, <laughs> I'm wow. like, what? I've been wasting all these years praying. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> and, and, uh, and she was sending me, she says, uh, God gave me my life back. And, and here's a photo of me and, my, uh, me and my husband. I have a husband now. And then a few, a few years later, she sent another one. And now there was a baby. And Isn't I'm like, wonderful. this is so amazing. And so uh, for her, the cross became a place of healing. But we didn't get to bypass the grief work of not being able to fix it. And the reality that she doesn't go get, get to be 14 again. She's, there's still real loss. So he had to bear that grief, that loss for her as well. Um, but redemption is sweet. And um, all the more so when we see it in this life, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. When we see it in this life. So um, that leads me to something you said very close to the end of episode 11. Uh, you talked about this peace that was won on the cross. You, I'm just quoting you here. It, it is an ever advancing and eternal peace. Mm-hmm. And as I, as I listen to that and then look around 
at the world we're in in this very moment uh, of coronavirus sweeping across the entire globe and um, you know suddenly people are are literally retreating to their homes mm-hmm. as mandated by their their federal governments um, it begs a question uh, if Christ won this peace on the cross, this advancing and eternal peace. Why do things seem to be getting worse and not better? If it is an ever advancing peace, what is that? How does that fit with the the reality we face in March of 2020? And let me add to your question: uh, If he defeated uh, Satan and the powers at the cross, which he did. Um, then why, why do we not see uh, the elimination of his influence? You know, why do we see uh, difficult times? So I'm going to just add to your yeah. question, and I'm going to ask Brad so, to answer it. Yeah, and just to add one more, or to ask it in a different way, you know, my eldest daughter is 11, and we were sitting around the table last week, and she asked a very similar question, which was a wonderful question, which was, you know, well, if God can heal anybody... Why doesn't he just heal everybody of, of coronavirus and wipe it out and it'll be over? And that's a pretty good question, too. What do you think, Brett? What is, what is the victory over the darkness at the cross? What does it mean for us here and now? Yeah. Well, for here and now is the important part of that question, because I could easily just say, well, it's... it's not about here and now it's about like the resurrection where he'll wipe every tear from her eyes but there is a here here and now to the kingdom and there is an advance to the kingdom and perhaps it's not getting worse uh perhaps it's getting better that's a debate out there right now but um theologically speaking um we need to make lots of room for mystery here and not offer platitudes mm-hmm. um but in a more Christ-like God, I try to talk about this in my chapter. Um, shit happens, and God is good, um, and and that is where we don't try to make a rational, a rational connection between the affliction of humanity and the goodness of God. If you try to offer a rational response to this, you will end up calling good evil or evil good every time, and. <clears throat> But so God doesn't come with a rational explanation. He comes with a cross, and that's his response. Here's my response. Um, I'm, I'm going to, I, I, A, I consent to willing human defiance and the tragedies of natural law. Yeah. I don't interfere through force. Or, or would, imagine if he did. What would that have to look like? Think about it. Um, he would have to handcuff me to a gurney so that I don't go out and harm people again today. Um, he would actually have to medicate my mind so that I can't think impure or unkind thoughts. I, he would have to vegetableize me, and I'm, I'm not even the worst of the bunch, probably. But uh, well, you're I, I mean, you're pretty close. <laughs> I, I every time I have communion, I confess that I'm the chief of sinners. So there is that. <laughs> but think, of, you know, think about that. So if he can't use force, okay, how about natural law? Why can't he at least just interfere with natural law? Okay, so everyone who steps off a cliff, he's going to levitate them. Is that how it works now? 
um, every car accident that happens because I wasn't paying attention. He's going to put like marshmallows between all the cars, miraculous. Like it, it doesn't work that way. Mm -hmm. Let's just say, I'm saying it shouldn't work that way, but at least we know this for sure. It doesn't work that way. People are, who, who try to hang themselves are not levitated to prevent it, even in their, in their mental illness and despair. Um, people who intend harm for other people, he doesn't wrath them. That's why I don't believe in the, in the wrath, in wrath as in violent anger to do harm. That's what wrath means, violent anger to do harm. He just doesn't do that, and I wish he would. And when he didn't, I was mad at him. But then if he did it for others, he should probably do it for me. So that, we know it doesn't work that way. So how will he redeem this world? How is he, in fact, restoring all things? Um, how is he fulfilling this statement? Behold, I am making all things new. Mm -hmm. How does he do it? Well, he did it, first of all, through the incarnation where he doesn't just consent to all this bad stuff happening. He, he enters into it and he participates in it and he undergoes it and he overcomes it by surrender to his father such that the love of God could flow through him as the active ingredient that heals. And love is not lo loving. The loving care of God mediated through a willing human partner in Christ is not interference, it's participation. Um, and and that love is actually the highest law that holds the universe together. So it's not a violation of natural law when love comes to bear on this stuff. Okay, but that's not just Christ. He's the first fruits of a new kind of kingdom where God reigns through love, which is to say God reigns in this world by mediating his loving care through willing human partners like Impact Nations. And so um willing so he's not preventing every disease that comes along but he is setting us he, he is calling out to people to become willing human partners in this this is bishop desmond tutu he's like for whatever reason god does nothing in this world without the participation of a willing human partner um where christ is is the ultimate version of that who's going to make sure ultimate redemption comes about but but in this life, what does that look like? Well, it it looks like people risking themselves to bring good news that brings healing to people. And um, so, I guess uh, you know I, that won't satisfy everyone because I just gave you a rational explanation. <laughs> it's, it's not that. It's 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 about the love revealed through the cross and through us when we pick up the cross of co-suffering love. Brad, I want to ask a question that was uh, emailed into us from a listener named Robert. Um, and it's, it's a good question. I think it fits in with this a little bit, um, just backing up a little bit in terms of what you were saying about your own thought life and, and what Christ's response to that could be and, and is. Um, it's a bit of a long question, but I want to read the whole thing. Um, and it's for both, both of you. It says, do each of you in your own lives see ways in which sinful patterns of thought or action or feeling still pop up every day? No matter, how, uh, no matter how mature and how far along in sanctification you may be. I just ask this because I see many people with genuine hearts and desire to live for Jesus struggle greatly with old patterns and other junk that just goes against what they believe and are committed to. 
I think a harmful form of perfectionism, which misinterprets different scriptures, accentuates this. It can lead to a uh, sensing deep inside that we somehow lack ability to love God, Jesus as uh, God or Jesus as we should, perhaps we lack his love being able to just reside in us. So mm-hmm. on this side of the cross, what does it mean to struggle with um, <clears throat> habitual sin and uh, old patterns that continue to pop up? I think I'll go first on this, Brad. And then... Age before beauty, yes, please. Oh, that one hurt. <laughs> I I really struggle with anger toward my buddy Brad when he takes shots at me, and <laughs> and it's daily. <laughs> daily, I have to take That's it to the cross. No, um, I think that I think one of the things that that is important is that Jesus didn't just take my sin at the cross; he took my brokenness. And and the cross ministers not just in terms of of righteousness, but also, as Robert says, these patterns, and and I think that, in one sense, they can I can deny them. I can get frustrated with myself or whatever, or I can say, Lord, you you draw me back to the cross again and again. So that's one thing. Um, I I also think you know I think you know Brad that my wife Christina does. Um, does an encountering God uh, seminar that she's now yep. taking to more and more countries because she's she takes people through a, a deliberate process of of breaking off old patterns and chains and so forth and it's very powerful but it doesn't mean okay now it's done now right. you don't have the kinds of things that Robert's talking about but rather you, we get rid of a bunch of patterned ways of thinking and feeling at least we begin to moderate those and change and it enters into a process that ultimately that's why she calls it encountering god leads us into a closer place so for me i used to spend so much time fighting with myself no 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 take every that thought captive i i see it really more as a reminder of the incredible grace of god um and, um, yeah, I think that's all I need to say right now. I'll pass it over to you. Yeah, I'm so totally with you uh, on that. And, and um, I, I experienced this in a few ways myself where I, I kind of think about sin, whatever that is. Well, here's, my, here's a couple ideas about sin. One is very, very simple. When I feel myself turning away from love. Hmm. And repentance is when I, when I turn back to love. And I think about it like a light, you know, um, that Christ is the light of the world. He is the, the radiance of God's love for us. So when I'm turning away from love, First um, John is very pr- pretty, pretty straightforward about it. If, if you love, you know God. If you don't love, you don't know God. And so, and I feel, I feel that the peril to my soul, my withering soul when I turn from love. And sometimes I'm powerless over that turn. But what um, <clears throat> another way of thinking about this then is if, if it's kind of habitual and so on, then self-will got us in this problem in the first place. That's what's going on in the Garden of Eden, self-will. And that's what's going on with a lot of moralistic accountability partner BS, where it's like, 
I'm just going to, I need to have self-control instead of it being a fruit of the spirit. It, it becomes this willfulness kind of thing. And the miracle of, uh, let's say, 12-step recovery is that they're like, self-will got you in this mess in the first place. That's mm. not how you do it. You surrender mm -hmm. to the care of a loving God, not to the control, but to the care of a loving God. So it's, it's through surrender. And the other is when um, I, I'm very sad these days because my, con my confessor of seven years just passed away. And when I would go to him, um, with my struggle, because it is a, it is struggle is a very good word for it, Tim. When I, I go to him with my struggle, um, he would never say, oh, what did you do this time? What are you guilty of? What sin do you have to confess? What he would always say is, what's troubling you? Hmm. And he recognized that I was experiencing anxiety from an accusing conscience because of my perpetual stumbles. And what he want, what he, so I would tell him what's troubling me. And he would just say, of course, this is the human condition. We all go through this. So it's like, remember Romans 3.23, hmm. um, we used to hear it as I used to hear it as a young Baptist, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Yeah. Here's, here's the tone. Oh, everyone sins. Duh. <laughs> <laughs> of course. <laughs> Of course. In fact, many, many, many times, many times when I would, you'd say, well, it's troubling you. I'd say, oh, I did this again. He'd go, well, of course. Of course, we all do this. But here's the important thing to know, that God has not left you, and you don't need to run and hide from him. He's not the one accusing you. It's your conscience. And so what we, you don't need to be reconciled to God. Christ already did that. You need to be reconciled to your conscience. And here's how you do it. You hear the good news again. He's already forgiven you. Get up. Come home. Get up. And don't give it another thought. With the boldness that Christ has given us by saying to his apostles, whatever you loose is loose. I'm saying you are loosed. Go and, you know. And so I'm, oh, and this burden would come off, right? But it was the burden of surrendering to love and care or that, that uh, is the light yoke and the heavy yoke was the accusation and the self-will and the failed self-effort and all of those sort of those willful ways of trying to, I need to please God or I'm in big trouble. And I don't know if I shared this with you the other day, but you know, it's like when I go to an airport and I, I just, I, when I, when I'm um, flying too much, I'll go to the, the, chair massage you know you can go yep. get the in the airport and i'll just go okay i need some work on my back and shoulders because i'm like in trouble here and I, I was in dallas fort worth i think at one of these things and and the, the masseuse says to me stop fighting me hmm. and and i i surrendered into the massage and i feel like that's what god has for us he just wants to do therapy on us that and sometimes that's Sometimes it's it's not just like a relaxing massage. I think I left there with bruises on my shoulders. <laughs> but um, but this idea of yeah, I'm certainly not. I've not reached full sanctification, and I don't actually expect to. Maybe I'm a man of little faith, but I I feel I feel like I'm in a perpetual struggle, and so. But I know what to do with it now. 
I surrender to the love of God. Excellent. Well, that was good. That's good. Um, did you have anything else that you wanted to discuss with Brad? We're getting, we're running close to our time. But. Close to our time. Would you, for the sake of our viewers right now, would you mind touching upon, I'm going to make a statement, which is coming from you, and then would you elaborate on that? You once asked a question. What if the highest revelation of God and his glory is the cross? Because, of course, we always think of uh, Revelation 4 and 5 and 19, you know, the, the throne and so forth, which is wonderful. But what if the highest revelation of, of the glory of God um, is at the cross? And that, that single question that either you asked me or I read from you, I don't know, it's probably half a dozen years ago, um, was one of the most influential questions in many, many years for me. Do you mind just opening that up a bit for our viewers? Sure. Um, I'll start by saying something that Simone Weil, one of my great saints, would had said. She, W-E-I-L. It's really worth getting the book uh, Awaiting God by Simone Weil, where she goes into all what we've talked about, the affliction of the affliction of humanity and the goodness of God, but also this idea of the cross as the glory of God. She says, um, you know, the resurrection matters a lot, but Hitler could have been resurrected 50 times and I still wouldn't worship him. I worship Jesus Christ because he won my heart at the cross. Mm. I'm like, oh my mm. goodness. So why, how does the cross win our hearts to the love of God? It's because that is the revelation there. So if the glory of God, if his nature, his essential nature um, is, is, is the glory of love, not the glory of being a, a superpower, but of love in its purest form, where do we see it come into focus most clearly? It's on the cross. And so I often use the expression that, that the cross is the definitive revelation of God himself as self-giving, radically forgiving, co-suffering love. Um, we don't see that anywhere so clearly in the whole universe. Uh, it, comes, it comes to this this blazing focus uh, as the one on the cross gives everything of himself. This is that God has, God held nothing back to the point of, of death and in, and then even entering the grave. Um, and that he with, he withheld no, there is no withholding of forgiveness and mercy and grace there. It's like, it's for everybody for all time to the very depths radically forgiving and then co-suffering it's like that every every bomb that's ever been dropped every weapon that's ever been fired every assault that's ever taken place that that is the, the harm of humankind he drew that up into himself all the darkness spiritual mm. emotional and physical he drew it up up he drew it that that's i think 
Vey talks that way. He drew it up into himself and in, in there, he separates out the evil and conquers it and, and, and purifies the suffering and then recycles it as, as forgiveness and life. And so um, I just, I, I don't see such a concentrated form of glory anywhere else. If glory is not about being, being Superman, or about infinite divine love um that's it's flowing from remember the great hymn see from his wounds his hands his feet glory and so what is it sorrow and love flow mingled down mm -hmm. you know and where has ever such you know has ever that met and and composed such we really should look at the words of that hymn again because it's it's all there actually we've been singing about it for decades and centuries and so on but um to to envision it that way and not as a past event but as as something planted in our hearts right now the cross is a place in your heart and you can approach christ there um thank you I, I just I'll pass it to Tim as he wraps this up, but I just wanted to say to, again, to our viewers, if you've not read um, Brad's book, which is now probably, what, about four years ago, A More Christ-Like God, uh, I encourage you. It is, it's like <laughs> core reading, mandatory reading almost. I would encourage you to, to get that uh, A More Christ-Like Way, which came out this past year, uh, an interesting little book you wrote called In. Uh, and what was that built around? There were three words. Incarnation and inclusion, and then Abba and Lamb. Yeah, okay. It's, yeah. Uh, I would just encourage you guys uh, to get those books and, and, uh, and read them prayerfully and carefully. Brad, uh, thank you for being such a, a dear friend to this ministry. And uh, I'll pass it over to Tim. I was about to scold Dad for banging on the table. You did pretty well today. We don't have to bring out the oven mitts. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, well, you, you actually you said what I was going to wrap up with, which is uh, if, if you want to just dig deeper into these things, Brad's written some fantastic books. You can catch all of that at bradjerzak.com. Uh, there's links in the show notes here on, on Facebook or on the podcast um, uh, normally, Brad, I would ask if you've got any events that you're plugging, but obviously there are no events anywhere on the planet right now. I don't know if you're doing any other online stuff that people can follow. Well, hunker down and uh, and read good books, and so that you don't bleed it all away on social media. But if you want to find me there, I'm I'm on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter as well. There you go. And that's where I will have links to articles as I release them. Yes, and, and you, yeah, follow Brad on Twitter. I do, and uh, he's got some fantastic articles that he links to that are just make you go. Hmm. And I think you're coming back hmm. uh, to this spot, aren't you? Indeed. So um, uh, we're going to do this three-part series. So uh, next week uh, on the audio podcast is going to be a teaching on uh, some of the theology and, and theological. Um, 
arguments about the cross that have happened throughout history. And then so two weeks from now, we will come back with Brad and, and have a discussion about that teaching. And then another two weeks after that, we'll dig in further. So, All right. Um, Shall we schedule it right now live? Let's Which... do it. Yes. Uh, I, I like Wednesdays. Do you like Wednesdays? Wednesdays. <laughs> All right. Great two, two Wednesdays from now. Um, Normally, folks, I do, I do an advertisement uh, partway through the podcast. You know that. Um, this week, I'm, I'm not doing that. Um, in light of all that's happening around the world right now, we're uh, obviously really rethinking a lot of things that impact nations in terms of, uh, especially journeys of compassion. Obviously, uh, nobody's scheduling a flight right now to anywhere in the world. Um, but I, I do. I, I would just encourage you to make use of these resources. You know, buy one or two of Brad's books. Uh, ImpactNations.com/shop. Uh, we've got some books there as well that Dad's written. Um, a book that's really poignant for right now is *The First Church Restored*, uh, which is really looking at uh, the first-century church and and how it applies, how we can learn lessons from how Jesus made disciples, how the early church made disciples. And I honestly, I don't think it's um, been more poignant than right now in the world we're living in. So uh, grab that. You can get it in an ebook or get it shipped to you. Uh, impactnations.com slash shop is a good place to start. Um, if you're not subscribing to this podcast, please do so. Um, even if you want to start way back at the beginning, our first uh, first. Uh, season was a really big study on John. I think it was 33 episodes. We had several question and answer uh, times with Brad as well. Uh, so, man, if you've got time right now, go back, listen to, to the series on John, or catch up on the series on the mystery of Christ, which is season three. Um, impactnations.com slash podcast. You can subscribe. Uh, there's a you know subscription button for your favorite podcast app there, or you can just listen right on the website either uh, as well. So, Lots of options for you, uh, but I would encourage you, spend this time, get in the scriptures, just listen to what the Lord's saying, find a way to be a blessing to your community, um, and join us again in a couple weeks for some further discussion with Brad. Thanks, Brad. Thanks, Brad. Thank you. We'll see you then. Yeah. Yeah.